All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it's really nice to have rainy weather. I, my eyes are naturally inclined to want to shut during the day anyway, so it was really hard today. I don't know if I was alone in that, but I felt a nap all day. I had to fight. So, But it's a nice day. I know we needed the rain, but it's good to see all of you. It's good to be together. Um, I was telling, maybe it was least before, it feels like in Oklahoma the seasons don't change slowly. They just change overnight, you know, just just like that. So maybe we're getting to fall, and I love it. But it's good to be with you. Uh, if you have your Bible and you want to open up to uh, Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, we're going to end up being in Genesis 25 in a few moments. Uh, if you're just visiting here tonight or in class for the first time, maybe you're tuning in online or you're listening on one of those um, media sites that we we put all our stuff to uh, we've been talking about the hall of faith uh, in this quarter looking at hebrews chapter 11 where a lot of individuals are mentioned uh, old testament figures familiar to the hebrew and israel people uh, who exemplified faith who show us what it meant to live by faith has anyone ever been to the creation museum or the ark encounter that's in kentucky i think there are okay so some of you are familiar with this if you go to the creation museum part of their Museum, you start and it's like you walk through the Bible story. You, you walk through, they show like the garden or whatever they think the garden looks like. And there's two really unrealistic looking people, mannequins, who just kind of stand. I'm, I won't do that very much longer. And you just walk through and you, you see the story and you kind of get to go through it in your head. And I want you to imagine being an Israelite and listening to this passage of Hebrews 11 because that's really what's happening. Like, it's almost in a way what's happening in their mind is they are walking through this museum in a way. He says, by faith, Abel. And it's like, you know, look at that, look at his little glass and think of his story. And you keep going. And we've looked at Abel, the first man of faith. We've looked at Enoch, the one who walked uh, by faith. Last week we looked at who? Sarah. Sarah, yeah. We skipped Noah. We skipped Abraham by your choice. Uh, and we did, we did Sarah by your choice. And then this week... If you notice, if you've been reading Hebrews at all, it talks about Abram twice, or Abraham twice. And we're, so we're skipping both sections of him, and the next one is his son, Isaac. And so we're looking at Isaac's story tonight. Uh, when you think of Isaac, if we were playing Family Feud, and you got the buzzer off first, and they said, what do you remember about Isaac? What would be the number one thing everyone would likely say? His dad tried to kill him. <laughs> right? It's... He, he's, that's the story most people are familiar with, with Isaac. And you've probably heard some preachers and teachers preach and talk about that subject. You've read it yourself. And one comment or, or thing that comes up often is, you know, we talk about the faith of Abraham to go up and, and offer or be willing to offer your son as a sacrifice, especially a son you've waited on for many, many years, who was the promise. And people will talk about, well, the faith of Isaac to let Abraham do that. Uh, we kind of speculate a bit there. That's not what Isaac's mentioned for here. Uh, if you look, just while you're in Genesis, we'll read about Isaac. This is the one statement made about Isaac in Hebrews 11 and verse 20. It says, by faith, there's that same pattern again, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Uh, every version I've read of this verse, it's something about by faith, Isaac blessed it's this idea of he blessed or there were future blessings upon them. So as he talks about faith, not that there wasn't any faith involved on Isaac's part when he was potentially sacrificed, but that's not, that's not what's mentioned. And so if you're a Hebrew person and he says this, you're thinking about a big story 
that we're going to go back and read uh, tonight together in Genesis 25. Uh, Despite living longer than Abraham, his father, he lived longer than Jacob and Joseph, he has the least written about him out of those four, out of those patriarchs. Because in verse 20 to verse 22 of Hebrews 11, you get into these guys. And despite having the longest life, there is the least written about him. Now, when I say least, there's still a decent chunk. It's more than Enoch. I can promise you that. And so, in a way, maybe this is, might be difficult for Isaac. He is sandwiched in between two giants. His father's Abraham, and then you have Jacob. Not perfect people, but he's sandwiched in between two giants. Compared to those two, there's not as much, um, I guess, material on him or things about his faith per se. But there's some stuff that we can uh, look at. But he seems to be a little more ordinary in our eyes than compared to the others. Uh, remember, Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. We talked about that last week. Uh, they had him after waiting 25 years uh, for the promise to be fulfilled. Sarah was barren. She had him when she was 90. Abraham was 100. And what we're happening now in Genesis is you're watching this promise God made of a land and a people and future blessings being passed down from person to person. And so look at Genesis uh, 25 and verse 19 through 21. And we'll have most of this on the screen, I believe. It says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of uh, Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Aren't you glad you don't have names like that anymore? I'm just John for more. That sounds a little easier. Uh, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. If you remember last week, the first time you were introduced to Sarah, what was the fact we, were, we learned about her from the very get-go? Barren. When you get to Isaac and his wife, the first time we're introduced to Rebecca, she is barren. Uh, there's just, just an interesting thing. It, it was passed down in a way. And so they had the same issue. The difference is, while Sarah would bear a child, it, they waited 25 years. Here, Isaac prays about it, and uh, they conceive. But we learned that from the very beginning. Um, they would have two twin boys, if you keep reading, in verse 22 uh, through 28. So she conceived, it says, the children struggled together within her. So there's multiple. She said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. So imagine you have, has anyone had twins in here? Anybody? I'm a twin. You're a twin. Okay, well, there you go. So you don't know what it's like to carry them, but you're one of them. I don't know if you were fist fighting with your twin in the womb. Maybe she says, yes, she was. She can remember it. Um, but it's like, maybe these two are like, you, know, you did as well. You're a twin. You're a great guy. There's two of you out there. That's correct. <laughs> You're, we got a lot more twins than I thought. Okay, well, there you go. Um, you can imagine the two of you, you know, in the womb. Maybe you're like wrestling a bit. You feel the kicking. You're like, hey, what's going on in there? And God says, well, actually, those two that are, you know, wrestling in there fighting, well, they're going to be fighting and wrestling. From them, two nations will, be, will, will happen. They will be divided. And notice the prophecy there. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And we'll see that played out uh, in this story of of Jacob and Esau. So we have to talk a little bit about them as we talk about Isaac. 
We won't apply all the stuff from Jacob just yet because he's next week as well. But the younger will serve the older. Uh, if, you, um, if you keep reading, oh, we, we got to finish this passage. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they call his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Um, I don't know why I do this, but has anyone seen Teen Wolf, the old movie with like Michael J. Fox? You have regular Michael J. Fox, and then you have the one when he turns into the Teen Wolf. In my head, I picture Jacob as like the normal person, and I picture Esau as the hairy version. Uh, I don't know why, but that's just the physical appearances. That matters for the story we'll read here in a few moments. Uh, Esau... Notice what it says about him. He's a what? He's a hunter. I think a lot of you fellas would like him. Okay? He likes to hunt. What season? It's bow season, Marty was telling me about right now, right? He's a hunter. Likes to field. Uh, he can cook a mean steak, apparently, according to his dad. Uh, Jacob is a little different. He's quiet. He, he dwells in tents. We don't know everything uh, about his personality, but they were different. But you notice it says Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Does that sound like a very good strategy for parenting? Um, I heard a head coach of a football team, he has, he's a famous one, uh, he has four kids, and someone asked him, he, he goes out and says which ones is, are his favorites. He, sa- he says it. And he's like, all of you other people are lying that you don't have favorite kids. You, you, don't, you don't think that way, but you don't say it. And people chuckled. But I don't know if he's kidding, but that doesn't seem like a very good parenting strategy, does it? just seems like you're going to build a lot of resentment. Um, you know, maybe one child is more difficult for a period of time. I'm sure none of you have experienced that uh, before. But it doesn't seem like a great, a great strategy there. So, and you'll see that play out some more. Um, as we continue on, uh, this plays into a moment we're going to read in a second. But I'll give you the highs and lows of Isaac's life because we do not have the time to read all of it. But let me give you a few. Number one, what did he do? When his wife was barren. Okay, that's a high to me. And that, I don't know if that seems like a high to you. I'm not saying that's like this mountaintop moment in his life. But as we're talking about, hey, high moment, you did really good there. Like, good job. That's, that's faith. In the circumstances of his life, when they didn't go the way he wanted, or was, as he desired, who'd he turn to? I think that shows faith. Um, yeah. We may not be certain about it sounded like it was 20 years that they were married before she birthed the, the twins. Yeah, I noticed that he was 60, and I can't remember. Did it say she, uh, yeah. 61. Yeah, so he waited too a little bit. Um, but notice what he does when he's waiting. Uh, he turned. Uh, he turned to God. So to me, that's a high. You see, that's the same thing we talked about a little bit with Sarah last week of there's faith in the, in the midst of your circumstances of life. So that's a high. Um, here's another high. He did not go to Egypt as God commanded. If you look at Genesis 26, and we'll read that together in verse 1 through 6. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and besides, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring 
I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, uh, your father. Uh, okay, this is, this is a, a high. He says, hey, don't go down to Egypt. Not a good place to go. Uh, there's Pharaoh there. There's other things going on, but don't go there. I want you to stay here. And what we see is, oh, sorry, there's more. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So there's the promise being passed down. But he's told, don't go to Egypt, and he doesn't. So he takes God at his word. To me, that's a high point. You, you take God's word seriously. You believe in what he says and who he is. Uh, that's a high. That's then where we see a low. A low part is while he doesn't go to Egypt, he tells the men of Gerar that Rebekah is his sister. Uh, if you read verse 7 through 11... Uh, when the men of the place where he's staying in Gerar asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Okay, pause right there. This is a very low moment in his life that we read of. This is not what being a man is. This is the opposite of that. Uh, this is weak, it's cowardly, uh, and it's not how you treat women either. Um, and that's just, that's the truth. Uh, if you think chivalry is dead today, let's go back a little bit. Um, by the way, where did he learn this from? So if you're not familiar, we didn't talk about it last, um, we didn't get to talk about it as we skipped Abraham. Um, but his father did this twice with his wife. Two times, not a story repeated. Two times he went into a place afraid of what the men would do to him because of his wife. And so he tells them that my wife is my sister. And he essentially lets them treat his wife however because he's afraid for his life. At least one time. The other time God keeps it from happening. God sends a curse upon Pharaoh's house. But he lies to protect himself. He is more concerned about him than his wife. I would... I would like to imagine that's, um, that's like not how to be a husband 101, okay? So just a really low moment. Uh, as we read this story, Abimelech, and I don't know if Abimelech's a name because as we see it in multiple places, it might be like Pharaoh in terms of that's the title for king, for a king. Um, but Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. By the way, sorry, back up. How did he know that it was... They were not sister and brother? They were laughing together in the garden. Now, you're like, what does that mean? Um, that word seems to be that they were... Um, this caressing. They were caressing. Yeah, so they were apparently uh, hanging out in a way that uh, husband and wife were. Um, and so he looks out the window and he's like, I don't know where you're from, but brother and sister don't do that. So uh, I, think, I think it's a little different than that. So he calls and says, hey, um, that's not your sister. That's your wife. Like, why, um, why would you do this? Uh, how then could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought a guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. By the way, Abimelech sounds like a pretty... Good man, doesn't he? Man of good character. 
hey, no one touches him or, her, uh, or his wife. Uh, we would never have done that if you didn't say it because you lied to us. And so this is a low moment uh, for Isaac. Uh, it just is. And he learned it from his dad. Maybe a sidebar there is your kids won't turn out just like you. Like all of you, you ever worry about that? All my faults and failures will come onto my kids. They're going to be just like me. That's not true. They're going to have a lot of you in them. That's how that whole, that's how that works. You know, attitudes and maybe some personality traits and stuff like that. But just because you struggle or you've made a mistake doesn't mean they will. However, what you teach them will pass on to them. They get to choose what they do with it. But I don't think Abraham said, Isaac, now when you go to a place that wants to kill you, tell them that your wife is your sister. He didn't teach him that verbally, but how did he teach him that? Maybe there's some truth in that for us with, with young people, that we are teaching them all the time. They are watching us. So how we treat other people, how we treat our spouse, uh, how we work you know, in our jobs, um, where we spend our time, how we use our language, all of that. They're watching and they learn whether we realize it or not. I don't think Abraham wanted his son to take this on or to pass this on, but it's something he did. So that's a really low moment. Um, any thoughts on that before I jump Jump ahead. Okay, you got a high one in, in chapter 26, verse 12 through 25. He responds to God's grace. Um, we won't read the whole thing, but, you know, they say, hey, don't touch this man. Abimelech does. He's in Gerar. Well, everywhere Isaac goes, he's blessed. He goes, he settles, he builds, he digs a well back out. There's water. The Philistine guys don't like it. He digs another well. They don't like it. His guy's being blessed, and they want the land. And finally, he finds a well that they're not battling with him over. And, and God would say this to him um, as he does this, or he finds this well, and he, he's settling there. He says, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and, I, uh, and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abram's sake. So, here's Isaac. He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And their Isaac's servants dug a well. Um, what we see here at a high moment is when God was gracious to him and gave him this promise and blessed him and gave him a gift in this way, Isaac responded immediately to it. Um, and we'll talk more about that a little later, but that's a, that's a high moment. Um, he immediately builds an altar to the Lord. Hey, you've been gracious to me, God. I want to... I want to give it back. I want to praise. I want to worship. I want to sacrifice all of these things. So that's, that's a high moment. So you see instances of faith, and you see sometimes where uh, it's, he's maybe not the man he should be. Um, I think we can all relate to that a bit. Then you get to this weird thing about a blessing. If you back up to Genesis 25, uh, verse 29 through 34, we need to understand this a bit for what comes later with Isaac, and it will help us in the weeks to follow uh, somewhat, but in Genesis 25, this is where you have these two twin brothers, and there's this instance between them about the birthright. Now, remember, what was the prophecy that God gave to them about their sons? The younger will serve the older, which means Jacob, or which? Sorry, older will serve the younger. Back that up. Esau is going to serve Jacob. Is that how that goes typically in the Jewish culture? No. Who was going to get the birthright and the blessing? The firstborn. This is flipped here. And so in this, in this situation, we see an interesting uh, story. So it says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. 
And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. If you know the people who come after him, the nation, they're the Edomites. Uh, Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Um, interesting. Do you think Esau here is actually about to die, by the way? No. What does he sound like? He sounds like your kid after he hasn't had a snack for two hours. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, I'm starving. I'm dying. If you've ever been on a road trip with a kid. It's like, you had three cans of Pringles 30 minutes ago. What do you mean? Um, I don't think he's actually dying. He's just hungry. And we say that. I'm dying of thirst. I'm dying of hunger. But if you pause right there, what do you learn about Esau's character in this moment? He despised it. Okay, do you think that means he didn't care for his birthright at all? Like he didn't want it? I think what we'll read in moments is he wanted it. How did he despise it? At this moment, he didn't count it worth anything. So what does that tell you, though, about his character? He trades a birthright, which... um, Let me just go ahead and tell this to you. Your birthright. So that's a double portion of the inheritance. That's a special blessing from the father. That was the natural privilege of the firstborn son. So when you receive that birthright, the firstborn would become head of the family. They'd have charge of the family, including the property, although there wasn't any in this case. He'd be responsible for the welfare of the younger sons, the widows, or any unmarried daughters. He would exercise considerable authority over the other members of the family. Um, And in this time, it's the patriarchal age, meaning God spoke to the fathers. So he would be the one that God would have this relationship with, this special covenant with. Uh, God dealt directly with the heads of families. So all of that's included here. And he gave it up for what? A bowl of stew. Think about his character. Esau doesn't seem to be a person that really considers the future. Does he live for the future or what's to come? Or does he live for right now? Yeah. In fairness, he only wanted the stew and... He also got bread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe it was like some Texas Roadhouse rolls. You know, that makes me question it a little bit. Maybe, maybe it is a little better than just stew. Um, but he trades all of that for just a little bit of food. And so he doesn't seem to be a person who has the future in mind, the responsibilities in mind. He doesn't seem to value this promise God has given to his father that will be passed on. He doesn't seem to value these things. Um, and I think you think about the, um, in the New Testament, you know, we have a story about a young son who took his inheritance quick and went and spent it on earthly things. Didn't really seem to have a mind for the future or a mind for, for that kind of stuff. And, and there's some parallels there. Yeah. So just a minute ago, you said this is the uh, patriarchal age and God is speaking to the fathers. Yeah. And however, yeah. You know, last week we discussed Sarah and God was talking to her as well. Yeah, no, I, I, so what I don't mean is that God never speaks to anybody besides the fathers, but in terms of, as we see God's directions uh, in this age, there's not like a covenant like he made with Moses. Like from the beginning, there's Adam, then it gets passed on, you know, you have Noah to Abraham to, so in this moment, we call it the patriarchal age because God seemed to have this relationship with the heads of families. Like that's where he would speak. 
Um, like Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 kind of talks about this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to the fathers or to the prophets. But now he's spoken through his son. So it, I'm not saying that we're limiting that God could only speak to fathers. But it just seems in terms of his plans, and he, he, he spoke to fathers often in this time. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, but you see some character things here with Esau. He doesn't seem to have a mind for the future or to be uh, full of wisdom. He's living for today and the moment and whatever he wants, which there's some parallels for our world and sometimes for us in that. Yeah. I don't know how deeply he really thought about his commitment to give up that birthright because later on he doesn't tell his dad, now, Dad, hold on, wait a minute, I'm, I sold that birthright to Jacob. Yeah. And he's the one who should get it. Yeah, I don't know how if he thinks this is serious. That's a great question. I also am not saying Jacob did a good thing here. Um, we're going to learn this, especially starting this week and going on. These people that are mentioned are not perfect. They have a lot of ugly things that have happened in their life. And we can relate. You know, a lot of us have made a lot of terrible mistakes, just like they have. We've sinned. And so I'm not saying Jacob here is good. And to continue that thought... Um, or just to talk about Esau, this is one statement made about him in Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 17, that no one is sexually immoral, unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So we'll see in a moment. He wanted it, but he made some decisions that he regretted, that they couldn't take back. But no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, he lived in a way uh, that was not fit, apparently, for the promises God had. And maybe that's part of the reason he wanted to go through Jacob. Um, There's some character issues with Esau, based off what we read. Now, it doesn't matter why God chose to pick the son he did, by the way. God is sovereign. God can do what he chooses. And he speaks to that in Romans chapter 9. And we won't study that, but if you have any thoughts on that, you can go to Romans 9 and study that later. Um, all right, look at, uh, look at, I didn't write it down, did I? Oh, no, chapter 26, 1 through 4. i got to turn there with you. This is too long to put on the slide, so I'll, we'll read it together. And this is the story we'll, we'll stop at. Genesis 26. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down... That can't be the right one. I must have written it down wrong. Maybe it's 27, and I'm just being... It is. I think it is. Okay. I'm sorry. Yep. Hey, that's a great passage, but as an old teacher might just say, we'll talk about that another week. Um... At the end of 26, by the way, as we talk about being unholy or sexually immoral with Esau, in verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Um, by the way, it says it made the life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Maybe this has to do with the relationship that's strained. But notice he takes two pagan wives. That's not what God called them to do. So maybe there's more reason why you see some of this character issues and decisions with Esau. And he does this again later. But chapter 27 is what we meant to be at. Verse 27, or chapter 27 says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. 
And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So he says, hey, go get food ready. Make me a medium rare steak with whatever you get, that I may what? What's the problem with that? Well, that, that's a problem. What else is a problem with this? What was God's prophecy? Or what did God tell them would happen? It's, it's supposed to go the other one. And so we see here a little bit of an issue with Isaac loves his boy. We don't blame him for that. Um, but he seems to not struggle with this or not understand it. But he's almost moving forward with giving the birthright and the blessing to Esau. Uh, despite Esau taking women he shouldn't have as wives, despite some of the character issues, he's going forward with it. Um, because he liked, he loved his son. That's the one he preferred. The Bible says he preferred him for being a hunter and skilled in the field and what he brought him to eat. I don't know if there's more to it than that, but that's what it says. So, but he's going forward. And I'm not saying it's a great high moment of Isaac. I'm sure we can all relate sometimes where you have a son you really love. Yeah. A weakness for food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't have that ever. Um, but yeah, they, they did. So, But he says, I'll bless you, which is going against what we were told as God said to him. Uh, when that happens, Rebecca hears it. Remember, which one does Rebecca love? Jacob. The last thing you heard in Genesis 26 was it made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. This is, if you ever feel like your household or your family is awkward or divided or strained, there's more. there's people in the Bible who can relate. We have that here. Uh, so in verse 5, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game for, uh, the game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Hey, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, uh, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went and took them, brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved, then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, on the smooth part of his neck, and she put delicious food and the bread uh, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So mom has a scheme to fix this for the son that she prefers. And I don't know if it's a, hey, this is not what God promised, so I'm going to make sure it happens. I don't know if it's just a, He's not living the right way, so I, we're going to make Jacob happen. I don't know all the under, I don't understand all the reasons why or what her thought process was, but she thinks it shouldn't go to Esau. It needs to go to Jacob. I'm going to make it happen. So she has fake hair. She prepares food. That's kind of cheating, by the way, because she knows what he likes as his wife. Like she, she prepares it, and so they go. And Jacob goes along uh, with it. 
Once again, Jacob's mentioned the next in this Hebrews chapter 11, but he has, he's not perfect either. Verse 18, so Jacob went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God has granted me success. Ouch. So you lied, and then you just, <laughs> this is God's doing. You know, telling people it's God's doing when it's sin is, is probably not a good idea. Deeper and deeper, he's doing what his mother says, that he said, I'm Esau, then he lied about it, and then he springs on the top of that lie and says, God told me to do this to verify that I can do what I did for you. Yeah. This is a serious here. It's, it's getting worse by the minute. Now, did they have to do this to get Jacob the blessing? Do you think God could have worked out a way to make it all right? Probably. But once again, kind of like last week, sometimes we try to make things happen on our own in life. Like if we're waiting and we get impatient or we think things are turning a different way, we go try to get it some other way. And bad things happen when we do that. And you're seeing that here. And so, yeah, he's getting worse and worse uh, with this. Um, did we finish that whole section or did we? Oh, Verse 21, thank you. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son. Remember, he can't see very well to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So he's not a good impersonator. Okay, He, ca- he can't do that. He can't sound like his brother. Uh, but his hands seem hairy like his brother. So the, the, the outfit works. And it says, so he blessed them. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. So he's doubling down on the lies. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So it smells like Esau. I don't know if Esau had a cologne he wore. But it's like Axe body spray. That's Esau. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many people have felt the hair of a goat, mm-hmm. but it is not human hair. It's not human hair. <laughs> I mean, it's very rough. Yeah, it's. It's I don't. I don't. You're like. Well, I had a lot of bad senses if he got that shit. Maybe a lot of bad senses. Also, what did it say about him when he was born? He was covered. So he must have been, you know, who's the hairiest man in the Bible? That could be a really bad Bible dad joke for you. Um, I don't. But you wonder a little bit. Like where the sense is going. He lived for some time after this moment. Um, but well, he did say he wanted to eat that meat and then die. Yeah. But he, he knew he was close. Yeah. Yes. It could have been the hair on the belly. That's very, very sparse hair. Mm. Not like on the back. Yeah, that's true. I got no idea, but it worked, right? Which is so... When people tell you the Bible's not true, sometimes I'm like, why would you make that up? Uh, (laughs) Really? Um, So, um, number one, why would someone make this up too? Why would you say someone believed that? Okay, anyway, we'll keep moving. Um, Verse 25, bring it near to me that I may eat my son's game. Uh, Verse 26, come near and kiss me. And he smells him. And then here's the blessing in verse 27. See the smell of my son as, as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And what you find in the next section, because we're going to run out of time, I think, to read all of it, is Esau finds out when he returns. And in verse 30 and following, uh, he is heartbroken. Uh, He prepared him food. He asked to be blessed. In verse 32, Isaac says, who are you? He says, I am your firstborn Esau. It says, Isaac trembled violently. So Isaac's upset about this. He knows what's happened, or he knows something's happened. And he's already blessed, and he can't take this oath back. And Esau, here's the uh, words of his father. He cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry in verse 34. I can't imagine what that sounds like. The birthright was everything in this tradition and culture. I mean, a double portion of your father's inheritance, to be the leader, all of this, to have this relationship, to be over your family, to think it's coming to you, and it's just gone this way. Uh, Remember, he gave it up for a bowl of stew. Did he think it was serious or not? I don't know. Maybe he was living for the moment and just thought he could get it back later. And this moment, he really wants this promise or this blessing, and he doesn't get it. And what you come to find out is, by the way, just for those of you who know this story, what comes of Esau? Because we're going to run out of time, and I want to get to some application. But what comes of Esau after this? Well, they finally make peace after a while. They, they do, do before. Esau becomes a great nation. Yeah, they make they make peace after a while. He does become a great nation. Before they make peace, what he wants to kill him. Um, they are divided, uh, and it's Jacob has to go hide out. And so, by the way. Because people are mentioned as heroes of faith or as examples of faith doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean that God condones everything they did. Like we, we don't condone Jacob lying. Uh, we don't condone the things Isaac did, which is a good news for you and I, by the way, that we can do some terribly dumb things and we can make some tragic sins and yet God can still forgive us. David is a man after God's own heart and you look at some pages of David's life story and you go, really? Um, but that's good news for you and I. But I, I want to pause there because if you go look at Hebrews one more time, Hebrews 11 and verse 20. Because you get this story, and when it's said in Hebrews, it says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And I go, Okay, what can we learn from Isaac about faith? And I think maybe this is the, the big one. And why it's written down in Hebrews is faith passes down the promises. When Isaac was passing this blessing down, had he received the promises God made to his father? Now, what did, what did God promise his father again? Yeah, uh, you're, you're going to have descendants everywhere. I mean, a great people. You're going to have a great land, a great nation. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And when Isaac got that promise, or he had not received all those promises yet, and yet at the end of his life, what is he doing with that promise? He is passing it down. If he's passing it down, do you think that means he believes in it? Yeah. Um, And so I think for part of us, for, for us is, 
at the end of his life, when it came to these promises and these blessings, he, when he didn't get it yet, he didn't turn his back on God. He didn't quit his faith. He didn't stop believing in the promise. Um, he passed it on. None of the people in this entire chapter of Hebrews ever received the promises in their own lifetime. Uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 39, And all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Before we even got to Isaac, uh, in verse, uh, where was it? In verse, uh, verse 13, sorry. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't get all these promises that were given to them right away in their lifetime, yet they still lived by faith and they passed it down. I think for you and I, there's some messages uh, in that for us. How we handle and share our faith while we wait on God makes a big impact on other people. And what we do with the promises God has made us at the end of our life has a big impact on people. You know, a question for all of us is what are we passing on to our families, to our children, to our friends, uh, while we are waiting on the promises of God that have not happened yet, like he, he's coming back, eternity, a resurrection, all, a new creation, a new body, all of these wonderful things, while we're waiting on that, or if we get to the end of our life and we have not experienced that yet, it hasn't come to happen yet, what will we do with those promises? Because it's on you and I to pass those on. Um, how do we pass on these promises that we have not seen yet? Through faith. It's by faith. Uh, and what that means is, well, what would that look like practically then? How do we pass on these promises by faith? So they need to see it in our life. I think that's what we mean, right? Like with my kids, these promises that I have not experienced yet and I want to pass them on, they need to see me living by them in my own time. Living with an expectation that God's coming back, that God is, that there's a resurrection, there's eternity, all of that. Living by the word, that's faith. But from a practical perspective, what else? Shouldn't we tell them? Shouldn't we speak about the promises of God to them? Uh, shouldn't we be living by them? Shouldn't we have some confidence in them? Um, if we don't receive them yet, we shouldn't switch up. We shouldn't, uh, uh, we shouldn't turn our backs or live another life um, when we don't receive these promises yet. Faith has a confident expectation of what is to come after this life. And we're not going to talk too much about all the details of that because it applies to next week's lessons. But our kids, our family, our, our friends, they need to see us trusting in the promises of God in our life, even when we don't receive them. And at the end of our life, they need to see us pass them on. I'm not saying you can never doubt or never have a struggle or anything like that, but they need to see us living by this faith. Does that make sense to everybody? Uh, did you see that here with Isaac? Was a made mistakes, he sinned, uh, wasn't perfect by any means, but at the end of his life, he passed it on. That's, that's for us too. Who knows how long it will be till Jesus comes back? It could be tomorrow. It could be another 2,000 years. And my prayer is our families, we will just pass it on. This church, we will pass it on. That there will be people here in 200 years that they're here because someone passed these promises down onto them and they live by it. Um, Amen to that, yeah, and that's that's part of the goal that you see through the through the line. Um, we'll talk about that in weeks to come. Here's another one: faith responds to God's grace. There's a little moment we read, but 
When he was blessed and God was gracious to him, even though he had made some terrible mistakes, he immediately responded by building an altar and praising God right then and there. I think that's a good message for you and I. Uh, when, when we come to understand or recognize God's grace and the gifts he gives us, we should respond by faith. Um, we talk about that often in terms of the immediate response to God's grace. When we realize that there is a God who has come and died and lived for us, or lived, died, uh, resurrected, to give us a hope of heaven, we should respond to that. Um, you know, by faith, repentance, baptism, all of that. But then also with our life, we should respond. There is a response that God wants from us with our life when it comes to His grace, trusting in these promises. And so part of faith is responding to the wonderful gifts of God and his graciousness. And we see that here too. Um, there's an initial response, but then there's a response with our life. And we teach that to those who are non-Christians. Hey, there's this wonderful story of Jesus. You should respond to it. That's faith by grace. Uh, you've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing. But then with your life, your life is then a response to God's graciousness, uh, to be the sacrifice for him. And so we see that in this passage too. And uh, I'll give you one more. Well, I'll give you two more. I hope this encourages you. People of faith have low moments too. Really low moments. We haven't seen that very much in our study yet. Because Enoch seemed to be perfect. He wasn't, but he seems to be. Um, Abel, we don't read of any mistakes he makes. Sarah, you know, there was a moment or two that, you know, she she had a conversation with God that might seem a little interesting. But we don't see a lot of terrible sins maybe in our eyes and then you get here and you start to see them that will be a theme for the rest of this chapter you're going to see a lot of people of faith do some really terrible things people of faith have low moments too they make some bad choices they sin against god i don't want to call them mistakes they sin and it has consequences and problems but yet god still says they're faithful even though they have moments you have a thought it's like having peaks and valleys. Yeah. You know, one time, you know, valley, next time. What the main goal is, is to stay at an even kill to get to where you need to go. You're yeah. going to have highs, you're going to have lows. If you're at a low right now, listening to this, or if you're in here and you're at a low, maybe there's a sin you're struggling with, you've, it's something you've done recently, or you're struggling in your trust, just because you're in that valley now doesn't mean you'll always be. doesn't mean you have to stay there. You know, you can respond to your sin the way God wants you to. Keep walking. Um, just because you've sinned or done something or you're struggling right now doesn't mean you lack complete faith or doesn't mean you're just lost or anything like that. Um, you know, we're going to have, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin or we're going to struggle. People of faith have low moments too. And I think that's why they're mentioned in this chapter over and over and over again. I don't think, I don't know. I don't think any husband in here has given their wife to other people saying, take her. I don't want you to hurt me. That, I mean, that sounds terrible to us, doesn't it? Really gross and bad. I mean, you understand what that means, right? For them to take her? I'm not going to say it, but... Don't ask for a show of hands. Yeah. That's awful. And yet, he still turned it around and was a man of faith. You and I are going to have moments, but you know, we, we can still be people of faith if we respond to our sin and we keep walking with God. Uh, he's the first one. We're going to see it a lot more. Um, I'll, I'll pause it right there. Um, it's an interesting story. It's not uh, easy to see all the parallels, but faith passes down the promises. 
And if you have low moments uh, in your life, if you're sinning or struggling with the sin or you've made some terrible choices, whatever it may be, just that low moment doesn't mean that you can't be a person of faith. You can choose to walk with God at any moment, turn it around, or just realize I've sinned, confess it, repent, keep walking. So I pray you get something out of that. I know it was a lot of reading tonight, but I appreciate you being here, uh, and we'll, we'll close class there. So thanks.